Welcome to Marketing Made Me Do It in the 1950s. Today we're talking about marketing in the 1950s and how it's changed since then. We look forward to sharing what we learned with you. Stay tuned for some mighty controversial adverts. Buckle in and have fun. <laughs> bought a pair of shoes that I didn't need The same ones I saw on my Instagram feed My feet hurt real bad and my bank account's dry I made a bad decision and I don't know why Some people may say I blew it But marketing made me do it So welcome to today's episode of Marketing Made Me Do It. We're not doing the accents anymore. That was hard. <laughs> that was really hard. I'm, I'm one of your hosts, Sydney. And I'm the other host, Sylvia. If it's your first time listening, this podcast is a new podcast that aims to teach consumers about how marketing impacts all of our lives and everyday decision making in order to empower us to make the best decisions with our money. So we always start this episode the same way. Um, what's new with marketing? What's new with life? And really, has marketing made you do anything? Yeah, good question. Uh, this time, I do have something that comes to mind immediately. Um, I don't know if it's because of Labor Day sales going on. We talked about this in our scarcity marketing episode. And I definitely splurged two days ago on mm -hmm. something that I've been wanting to get for a long time. And that's been on my wish list, which is a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Nice. Yeah, so there are a couple factors that kind of came together for me that I ended up taking the plunge, so to speak, which is, first of all, the Dyson that I had my eye on. I, I have four animals at home, so I need a, a vacuum cleaner that can deal with all the hairs. And we're redoing our floors right now, and the new floors show you all the hairs that are <laughs> on the ground. So it just bugs me more. Long story short, it the Dyson that I had my eye on normally costs right around $600 and I ended up purchasing it for a little over 200. And wow. so it was like a, a good deal. And on top of that, I had a gift card. So yeah, that's my life update. I'm going to be so excited vacuum cleaning <laughs> starting on Wednesday. <laughs> we got a Dyson, it must've been like three years ago. And when it when it arrived, it was the same thing. My husband was like, I'm in a vacuum. I'm so excited. I'm in a vacuum. And that lasted like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love my parents have a Dyson as well. And whenever I, you know, am staying with them in Germany, I do like just quickly grab it and do a quick sweep. It's so convenient. It's I hate the big ones that you have to like carry around and then you have meters and meters of cord that you have to trip over and mm -hmm. <laughs> find your way around. And so... Yeah, I'm really, really excited for, for it. What about you? I'm excited for you. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm so much more aware. I don't know about you, but now that we know we have this homework assignment of coming up with something that marketing made us do every other week, I'm so much more like I'm paying attention and I'm looking daily for an example. <laughs> and so the other night I was getting ready for bed and I was just scrolling Instagram and you know, you have those videos that come up, or at least I do, where without fail, like it doesn't matter how many times I've seen them, they always just make me crack up laughing. And I just look forward to them constantly being on my feed, just like every other week or every month. Mm -hmm. And so one of the videos is by Neighborhood P Patrol, and it's a YouTube series that came out, let's see, nine years ago. 
And seeing the video that just always made me laugh, I was like, I need to explore this series more. And so I started watching the episodes on YouTube. So I would say that was my marketing made me do is these viral videos that just crack me up, made me, you know, take that next step and watch this series. And now YouTube gets to show me more ads than ever. <laughs> so I want to show you the video and see if you've seen it. Yeah. And I'll play it into the mic. For a lot of you, it will be familiar because I think it's just been kind of viral for the last nine years. There is only one thing worse than a rapist. Boom. A child. No. <laughs> that just cracks me up every single time that I see it. You can see the face of the person that's like a child. <laughs> and it like the camera zooms into him. He's so petrified and it's like a child. So every time I see that, I just start cracking up laughing. The show is really funny as well. Um, so I'm glad that just seeing this trending on Instagram again over the last nine years has made me watch it. That's a good one. I'll have to look, I'll have to watch the entire episode. You have to send me that link. They're only like 10 minutes or less long. Like this one's five and a half minutes. So they're real fast, but I'm on episode three. <laughs> Perfect. So to start getting into our topic of the day, um, just a little bit of background. I was in the Phoenix Valley this past week, and I just remember there was a fantastic antique store in Chandler called Market Square. And it's like this warehouse of antiques. And I remember they had a booth that was just magazines and newspapers. And when I was younger, like in, in college, in late high school, I would go and I would just love to flip through these magazines and newspapers to look at the old advertisements. And there were some that just really stuck in my head. So I thought it'd be fun to do a whole episode on what marketing was like in an earlier time, because marketing has really evolved, especially as marketers have become more diverse, thankfully. Mm -hmm. So I found four magazines from the 1950s, and they're called True Story. True Story is the women's magazine. And then True the Man's magazine. And Sylvia and I did our homework. We flipped through these magazines. We looked at the ads. And then we put together our thoughts on how marketing has changed since the 1950s. I'm excited to talk through how it's evolved through social norms and across borders as well. To give you a sense of place, we're going to put you in the 1950s because like us, you probably weren't alive in the 1950s. <laughs> I don't think we have many listeners who are over the age of 70. This was post-war. There were a lot of babies being born. This is the beginning of the baby boom era where our parents were born. It was also the beginning of the space race. Um, Sputnik launched in 1957, and this was just like the modern time. Uh, there was the emergence of modern kitchen appliances. We had ice makers in our freezers for the first time ever. Families no longer just had the radio for entertainment. They were buying TVs more than ever since they were finally affordable to families. As far as where we were with human rights, um, 1954, segregation was made illegal in public schools, thanks to Brown versus the Board of Education. For women, women in the 1950s, we were not allowed to make contracts or wills. We couldn't buy or sell property. We didn't have control of our earnings. We were discouraged from doing anything political and we could vote, so that was great, but we didn't have a lot of rights in the 1950s. There were some things that were invented in the 1950s that we still use today. Mr. Potato Head, the hula hoop, the Barbie doll, McDonald's. 
credit cards, barcodes, super glue. And then for pop culture, we were listening to Elvis Presley. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was big, Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly. So, <laughs> so that was what was going on in the 1950s. So yeah, to bring uh, maybe some international perspective in to this podcast, uh, in Germany in the 1950s looked a little different. It was the time to rebuild. It was post-war, obviously, World War II ended in 1945. And so the 50s, you know, people were still coming out of the poverty, rebuilding homes and um, completing their grieving process. On the other hand, it was that economic boom that started to happen in the 1950s where the social structures of a modern industrial society came to flourish in more and more. And for people in Germany, you know, owning a TV or a car was a sign of prosperity. And interestingly enough, there was a big cultural shift influenced by the U.S. actually, uh, especially towards the mid-end 50s. Uh, you know, cigarettes were uh, used a lot, leather jackets, riding on a moped, motorcycle, um, was considered the half-strong teenager back in the day. And um, a lot of the trends in terms of lifestyle were influenced through the U.S. rock and roll era and Elvis Presley. So yeah, it was, it was quite interesting to see that, also from an advertising mm -hmm. perspective. That is interesting. I think they would call those types of teenagers greasers in that day and age. Greasers? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I just picture, what is that movie with the guy with the leather jacket and the girl? And like, she just becomes a greaser by the end. Grease? Grease. Yeah. <laughs> I picture when I think of greasers. Yeah, it's interesting. The half-strong teenager, as mm -hmm. I would translate it word to word, are actually the ones that were kind of rebelling yeah. towards you know, politics and all the things. One of the articles in my magazine, my true story magazine is called reefer party. And I think like some of the articles in these magazines, they're basically stories. So it's true story, but I think they're like propaganda to dissuade those rebellious teenagers. So this, I, I told you the article is so long, so like, <laughs> I didn't commit to reading the whole thing, but I, I read the beginning and the end and it sounds like they started smoking pot. And then by the end of it, they were, doing heroin and selling heroin to kids. Goodness. So. <laughs> That's a terrible story. <laughs> but I think, you know, that goes into the way that the modern society kind of bled into marketing and bled into the messaging that was being promoted in Germany and in the U.S. and how it was similar. Yeah, and it was the actual first teenager culture established oh, wow. in Germany throughout that time. So um, I'm sure a lot of parents and grandparents back in the day were like, oh my gosh, what is happening to our culture and society? Mm -hmm. Plus also, you know, just the international aspects of, of the United States having influence in, in the mm -hmm. German culture. That's really, that's so. really interesting. That's probably the beginning of, of cultures really impacting one another because we had things like you know, starting with the radio and, and then TV, and we could see other cultures without having to travel. Yeah. For the first time. It's really exciting. So moving on to, you know, we're going to give you an inside scoop into these ads. We'll put some pictures of the ads on our social media, on Instagram at Mark Marketing Made Me Do It. We'll start with the women's magazines. So I had two women's magazines. Sylvia had one. And to just give you a glimpse, the covers are all pretty much the same. It's a beautiful white woman with zero pores, zero, zero wrinkles, and like a kind of a red strawberry lip. Mm -hmm. Very minimal makeup. Mm -hmm. And then nice curly, a little curled hair. And the articles sound fantastically juicy. 
One that I have, it says, there's an article called, I hate my mother, reefer party, straying wife. My mother-in-law's revenge. So juicy. And these only cost 20 cents. Can you imagine? I was, I saw that and I was like, are you, are you kidding me? I paid like $10 for these in 2023, 70 years later. So well, hold on to them for another 20 years and sell them for 50. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, and so that's what the, the magazines look like. They're very much geared towards women. It's so obvious just from the cover. So I thought they would have some really fantastic ads in them. And they, they really did. I started off by counting the different types of ads in these magazines and there are five categories that stand out as being shown the most in one of the magazines i just counted each type of ad so the top types of ads that we saw in these magazines are skincare with 11 ads and hair products with 11 ads Um, there were eight ads that featured children eight ads that focused on cleaning products and eight ads that focused on food products Some other notes, there was one ad that featured a person of color. It was the cream of wheat ad had an African-American, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. There were three ads featuring weddings or engagement as well. Yeah, interestingly enough, well, I didn't count my ads in in the magazine that I looked through, but it sounds very, very similar in terms of just what stood out to me. It's a good combination of skincare, um, just in general, oral health was a lot as well. A lot of, uh, toothpaste advertisements. There were, I can't believe that one didn't make the top. So there were, there were four ads in my magazine that mentioned bad breath. And <laughs> I was sharing with you offline, like there were also ads for cigarettes. There were three ads for cigarettes, four ads for bad breath. And I think those two kind of went hand in hand of like, that was, there was such a big smoking cigarette smoking. God forbid it's weed cigarette smoking (laughs) in the 1950s that then they needed to balance that out with like but make sure your breath smells good yeah and i also had a lot of just um detergent or house house supply house cleaning supply Mm -hmm. ads um so i found that quite interesting um i did not see any uh engagement ads none of them really really stood out to me there was a really fabulous engagement ad in mine and i actually wrote down the page number Page 91 of I Hate My Mother. Let me (laughs) show you this ad. Here you go. And it's like a testimonial style ad. And it basically says, as the ad, it says, she's engaged, she's lovely, and she uses Pons. So Pons is like a face Mm -hmm. something or other that goes on your face, like a skincare product. The ad actually has an image of her engagement ring. And it's like this big, beefy diamond ring. So I thought that was kind of interesting that the ad not only like shares that she's engaged and Pons helped make that happen, (laughs) but also look at the size of that ring. The beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful ring. (laughs) I mean, one other thing that I noticed just throughout all ads, to me, I didn't see one that showed diversity in terms of skin color. Did you see any that showed diversity in terms of body style? No, I was gonna get to that right now. It's actually, I found all of the ads the women are skinny. They're beautiful. They barely have wrinkles. Maybe mm-hmm. a couple have just to showcase a skincare product. The hair is always on fleek. Like there's, I, I did not see any chubby women ads. Did you? Not a single one. There were actually six ads in one magazine that focused on body type. So whether it was weight loss ads or girdles, or did you see those ads with like the pointy, pointy bras? Yes. Like (laughs) women were into, or I guess, I mean, they were into dressing a way that made men happy. So I guess the men were like super into the pointy, like pointy party hat style. (laughs) That's a good analogy. That's exactly what they look like. It's like you took a 
birthday party cap and you put it on your boobs. Yes, exactly. So what were your biggest takeaways from reviewing the women's magazines? One of the big differentiators, since I also had the men's magazine that I found with the one woman magazine that I reviewed was just a diversity or variety of ads that they had. So it was, you know, ads targeting for women, you know, for their beauty, for, you know, the convenience in the kitchen with, for instance, um, canned food. But they also had ads that targeted their children. So it was, you know, um, ads that were beneficial for their children, essentially, as well as ads that were targeted to the women, but to benefit the men at the end of the day. Yeah. And the men's magazine really only had ads targeted at men that benefited the men, which we'll dive into in a little bit too. But so it was like women, you can make yourself beautiful to benefit a man. You can cook a great meal to benefit your family, but not a lot of you can do this to benefit yourself. A little bit. So a little bit of messaging was, you know, for your own convenience to, to spend less time in the kitchen, for instance, or mm. um, to not have to bleach the clothes and t- on top of, you know, washing the clothes. There's a Tide ad in here as well. Um, so it does also have benefits to the woman, but not for like the f- leisure time, still kind of related to housework and chores and to-dos versus, again, the men also had like a lot of leisure activity ads out there. Interesting. So what I listed as, you know, if I just look at the ads and this isn't a surprise, you know, knowing how far we've come with women's rights and and just the perception and the freedom that we have as women, but the biggest priority of women in 1950s, according to the advertisements that we see in these magazines are aging. They need need to stop aging now. (laughs) Um, Marriage is a huge priority, just getting married and then taking care of your family um, having children again, this was the baby boomer time. So a lot of women did have children and, and taking care of them was a priority and their responsibility. And then cleaning was a big one. Yeah. Oh, and I should say cooking as well, but that's kind of goes hand in hand with the house chores. Yeah. And to the point of like beauty and staying young, there is an ad and I, I read it to my mom earlier today. I was like, <laughs> yeah, there's an ad where literally it says at the age of 25, dry skin is, is starting to show. <laughs> It was pawns as well. I'm like, well, they're still around. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot that are still around. I saw one from Maybelline and their tagline was, how lovely can you be? And it was kind of like, find out with this eyeliner. Um, And their like really small disclaimer was, or I guess this would be their like statement was preferred by smart women the world over. Interesting. So, I mean, bold statement. It's a pretty bold statement, yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like hand in hand with the beauty element and the skincare element goes the just in, in general hygiene. I feel like there's a mm-hmm. lot of soaps out there. <laughs> there were so many for soaps. So I had, like I said, 11 skincare ads, but pretty much I, there were some for lotion, but it was lotion and soap. But another thing that I found interesting, especially comparing it to today, yeah. is just the volume of text <laughs> that was part of the ad. Sometimes I didn't know if it was an ad or if it was just a little article. Mm-hmm. I found the same thing, and I, I wonder if it's because of like the forms of how much the forms of entertainment have changed since magazines were popular. Because honestly, I like I said, I was reading the Street for Party article, and I was like, this is too long. I don't <laughs> have the attention span. It's not juicy enough. 
Let me skip to the end. If I could have, I would have put it into chat GPT and said, please summarize this for me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and That's so I think one. we just don't, I mean, this was the form of entertainment. You bought this for 20 cents and then you read through every single sentence. And so you read the articles and then the ads. They were so different from the ads that we would see that are so brief. You know, you've got seconds to capture someone's attention with an ad. In this era, I'm I'm just making a guess based on the ads. I'm guessing you had more than like seven seconds to capture attention with these ads. For sure. Also, just thinking about the volume of products that we have now, right? We have so many competing products and services versus back in the day, you had your main main manufacturers, your main producers of Mm -hmm. certain products, and they didn't really have to compete with anyone. So it wasn't like the most impactful messaging necessarily that they put out because some of these ads, like I read through and I was like, this is really not telling me much. Like what, what is this? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's not compelling. It's not written in a compelling way. And, um, you know, again, comparing it to Germany, there is a reason why ads weren't that focus or that much of a focus in the 1950s, because there was more there was more demand for products and there was supply. So companies really didn't have to market their mm-hmm. products at all. Um, you know, the biggest thing they may have done is signage in their storefronts or the occasional ad in a newspaper or a magazine, but TV was not a thing. Radio is not a big thing. So there was just not that competition amongst companies. One thing we talked about is you had the man's magazine. I flipped through that and we'll talk about that here shortly. I, went through mine. I counted every single type of ad. What I didn't count, which was glaringly missing was alcohol ads. And I feel like in the 1950s, as a woman, I would have needed a lot of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even just to wash down the cigarettes, right? Or like company schnapps accompanying the cigarettes. Like, why do I need oral health? I'll just peppermint schnapps it (laughs) and no one will know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, it probably was like a, a more taboo thing. You, you know, you, you wouldn't, you didn't, you didn't want your wife to be drunk and, you know, overly out there. Your wife wants to be drunk in the <laughs> 1950s, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but what's, oh, what was also interesting to me flipping through um, both of the magazines was just the volume of recipes in the women's mm-hmm. magazine versus in the men's magazine. Obviously, there were none. Oh, I was going to ask. I didn't think it was obvious that, you know, my husband likes to cook and I know a lot of men who like to cook. And I think that's something that's important to talk about is like gender norms don't just impact, you know, women, like the gender who's being observed as the less than that's not a good way to phrase that. If you can think of a better way, gender norms also impact men. And so let's talk about the men's magazine and the gender norms that they were facing in the 1950s. Yeah. So let's talk about the men's. In the men's magazine, it was very, I felt like all the ads were very aspirational. It was always kind of portrayed as like the rugged on one hand. So you have like the outdoor ads towards the fishing and the hunting and the, yeah, just being outdoorsy. Speaking of outdoorsy and ruggedy, the women's magazine has like beautiful women, no wrinkles, no pores, gorgeous. The men's magazine cover has bison. Yep, like a good herd of them trampling through the wilderness. The wilderness, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say the savannah, but we're not in Africa. <laughs> so, along with the ex- or the the cover of the magazine, the bison is the content of the magazine. So it's very much uh, you know geared towards men that are 
aspirational to a certain extent to be rugged and maybe outdoorsy. There are a lot of fishing ads in there. There are a lot of hunting ads and rifle ads in there. There's a lot of alcohol in there. I feel like every other page is an alcohol ad, a lot of cigarettes. And what I found interesting is that compared to the women magazines too, the men portrayed in these ads, they are not only young. I feel like there's a good mixture in terms of age. Oh. And also the messaging is very much focused on the men. So like I said earlier, where the women magazines had a variety of ads that were for the women, but also benefiting the men, but also benefiting their kids. The men ads in the men magazine are very much focused on the men. You know, mm-hmm. go fishing with this amazing gear or, <laughs> you know, this is the next best rifle that you need that's going to come make your hunting dreams come true. I'm like, obviously kind of putting some 2023 into the messaging <laughs> right now, but. But in the men's magazine too, it was like a Christmas magazine. And then there was a whole section of the best, wasn't it the be- like the best gifts for men? Yep, exactly. <laughs> the best. <laughs> Which you would think they would have in the men's magazine that men are reading like the best gifts for your wife or the best gifts for your kids. Yep. But it's just the best gifts for men. <laughs> the best gifts for men. <laughs> Some of the gifts were terrible. I mean, actually, I think all of the gifts were terrible. I can imagine looking at the magazine and being like, here, honey, here's a new tie. Yeah, and it was very mm-hmm. clothing oriented, like mm-hmm. sweaters and all those things. And what I found interesting too, there is a, a, an ad for a kid or for a men's boy specifically. Mm-hmm. And again, though, the messaging was kind of geared towards dad, you know, how the dad will feel. I wrote it down somewhere. It was like, dad, you dream about days in your boy's life when you'll see him hit his first home run, make his first touchdown, win top honors in his class. And again, like it, it then yeah. goes, it's an ad for a train, like a, like a, play toy train yeah makes sense but (laughs) but again like it's speaking to the accomplishments that a dad wants to see in his boy like talk about first of all pressure (laughs) yeah and it's like you dream of this exactly this is a way you can fulfill your dream exactly for your boy to be successful in life let's talk about how marketing and advertising from our perspective as marketers has changed since the 1950s do you want to start us off Sure. So one of the big things I feel like is just pushing dubious products is, you know, something that has majorly changed. I think it also just goes hand in what hand. What is dubious? Dubious is like, like for instance, the cigarettes and like that, like, I mean, alcohol advertisements are still a thing nowadays as well, but like essentially products that are marketed to be good for you, but really oh. not <laughs> good for you. Got it. That makes sense. And so let's talk about cigarette advertisements. We Mm -hmm. see them in women magazines. We see them in men men magazines. And I think it is part of that luxury element of the 1950s coming out of the war. You know, this is how people had a good time is just having a cigarette and being very classic, maybe. (laughs) But I mean, there's some weird messaging that goes along with these cigarette ads. On the back of one of my magazines, there's a cigarette ad, and it's, you know, this woman does look like she's 30. Yeah. She has a couple of wrinkles under her eyes. <laughs> and she is a Broadway star, Deborah Kerr. You all know her, obviously. Don't need to explain that. <laughs> and she's, it's a cigarette ad, and she's quoted, and I'll do my, my 1950s accent for this. She says, in movies, on the stage, wherever I am, you'll see me enjoying my Chesterfields. Best for me, best for you. 
and she's the star of Tea and Sympathy, in case you're out of the loop. I'd be curious to know how old she she grew. Yeah, there's no, I mean, obviously, (laughs) there's no um, asterisk anywhere at this time. Not on the cigarette package, nowhere. No disclaimers? No disclaimer, no letter from the, what is it, general whatever h or w health organ what is it yeah but no no disclaimers at all on these ads that smoking can cause lung cancer well and nowadays when you look at some uh, cigarette packages first of all we don't advertise it anymore we don't include cigarettes in movies or at least there Mm -hmm. was a time period where cigarettes were completely restricted from movie productions and now when you buy for instance like a marlboro pack at least i remember in europe you had like little pictures on them that showed you what a lung exposed Mm -hmm. to cigarettes looks like and i mean that's the other side you know that's pretty aggressive on the pack itself wow like you had those actual images and it's not pretty smoking and you're like pulling out your cigarette and we're like oh yep it it makes an impact when you do that yeah and but it was their way to kind of reduce it but yeah, so that's interesting. That's the, I think, something that has changed since the, since the 1950s. Or at least, you know, if we were marketing it now, there is some sort of a disclaimer. And same thing with alcohol. There would be a disclaimer on alcohol ads these days as well. So I think that speaks to the differences of responsibilities that marketing agencies and, mar- and advertisements have now versus back in the 50s, where really you could say anything mm-hmm. and make all of these wild claims without doing any, any backup. And in this day and age, you will get in a lot of trouble if you just make things up in your ads. And like we talked about even in our last episode, you need to, on social media, let people know if something's sponsored or if something is an ad. I think ads have to be maybe a little bit more... Transparent. Transparent. Mm -hmm. That they are, in fact, an ad. Absolutely. Yep. What's the next one? The next one... The next one goes really hand-in-hand with what we just talked about, which is just questionable slash stereotypical marketing messaging. And so for the example for this one, I just used what I found smart women around the world prefer Maybelline. So did they run a study, a survey where they measured IQs and then asked them that question of, and what cosmetic company do you prefer? Because that's what we would have to do nowadays to say smart women prefer Maybelline. We would have to like prove that. Right. Totally. And that's why Dove, I think, is a good brand that constantly comes or does these studies to support their claims with the products that they're pushing out. I think today we're much more critical too. And because we have obviously access to the internet and we can quickly research something, which we couldn't do, or they couldn't do, we, I guess, I wasn't alive, but you know, uh, couldn't do in the 1950s. You know, you just believed whatever people told you. And so now it's just not possible anymore, I feel like. Yeah. So what's the next one on our list? Not using children to push products, especially if the product is not really in the target audience or maybe trying to expand their target audience to children. Uh, I stumbled upon just doing some online research, this Coca-Cola ad where Coca-Cola, essentially the the tagline was, for a better start in life, start cola early. And it had like, early. Well, and it had, and we'll share this too. It had literally a toddler on the ad itself that must have been maybe five months at max. And so... <laughs> that's, a, that's a straight up baby. That's not a toddler if it's five months. Well, I guess... Is it walking? No, it doesn't look like it would be walking. Would it be walking? That's a... That's okay, like maybe a year? Six, six months to a year. Six months yeah. to a year. Okay. It doesn't look old enough to walk. 
So yeah, okay. So it's this a baby. This ad is yeah showing Straight a six baby, <laughs> six month to a year old, and it literally says, "How soon is too soon? <laughs> Not soon <laughs> enough." <laughs> oh my! And so they're having like health claims that this is this is great for you. And is this when Coca Cola had cocaine in it? <laughs> I don't know. It's an ad from the Soda Pop Board of America. Wow! It looks like. And so it says laboratory tests over the last few years have proven that babies who start drinking soda during that early formative period have a much higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward oh preteen and teen years. And then they show a baby on the ad. Yes. It's like, baby, you better fit into, into your little nursery. <laughs> so do yourself a favor. Do your child a favor. Start, start them on a strict regimen of soda and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a life of guaranteed happiness. It literally says promotes active lifestyle. Like, come on. And then because well, of the sugar, <laughs> <laughs> like can't go to bed, can't go to sleep. It's like, ooh, and so then much sugar. Boosts personality and gives essential sugars. Yeah. In the 1960s, Coca-Cola had a cocaine problem, this article says. So, uh... Yeah. Wow. So let's give your baby Coke. And a study says it's good for them. When they reach their teenage years, which... Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to start them early. So when they reach their teenage years, if they start their... T- or if they reach their teenage years at that time, I mean, Can't really, imagine. it's like for a better start to diabetes, is what it should say. Or cavities. <laughs> or cavities, yeah. But another one that's, you know, kind of along the same lines is like, it's from Dupont Cellophane. Dupont... Sure. I don't know. It's a cellophane company. And they literally like wrapped three babies into a present. You know how the, you have these gift baskets where you have like cellophane yeah. around them? Okay. Well, they put three babies into like a cellophane, you know, present type of ad. And so I feel like that has changed since the 1950s is we don't use babies in, you know, these types of ads anymore where it's like the baby should be stay away from cola and it should not be wrapped in cellophane <laughs> yeah just protection of children and in models and yeah yep that is a great change since the 1950s is the the individuals that are featured in these ads are more protected mm-hmm. in this day and age um i think this is next one is an obvious one of there's less use of sexism mm-hmm. i also think and we'll get to this later, but it's stayed the same. Marketing has stayed the same because of how much sexism there is. But in these magazines, again, there was just such a such an obvious gender role for men and for women. And I'm mm-hmm. going to argue that it was sexist against women, but it was also sexist against men. Because basically, these types of marketing is expecting you to conform to your birthed, gender roles and there's no exceptions and there was only yeah so this one makes me a little mad yeah not a fan agreed the next one is it's more the i think aspirational storytelling that i feel like hasn't really changed necessarily i feel like we still use aspirational storytelling for a lot of our marketing messaging, maybe just a little bit more concise versus here. It's more of the actual story and it gives the wrong message yeah. potentially of if you don't use pawns for your face, you will not get engaged yeah. <laughs> versus nowadays it's kind of used for, Oh, use it as, as an aspiration. You might have 
just better chances of liking yourself and through liking yourself mm-hmm. you'll find happiness in with someone else i don't know something along those lines like versus you'll be more confident exactly because you have clear skin versus now you can get married because you have clear skin <laughs> exactly where it's like a dependency if you don't mm-hmm. have clear skin don't don't even try and dream about a wedding because there are no chances type of a thing can you imagine just being a woman in the 50s i would have been so anxious i'm anxious now and i have human rights so i would have just been so anxious of like oh my god i have a pimple no one's gonna marry me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i saw oh my gosh which brand was this from this was another really just crazy ad where it was a chlorodent ad okay (laughs) the headline says there's another woman waiting for every man Great. And that makes me as a woman, if I was in that, I would just be stressed the heck out. Yeah. Oh my God, I have a wrinkle. Oh, last night I was looking at my hair and I, this is true story, not a true story, true story, but this is like real life me. But I was looking through my hair and I was like, I have so many more gray hairs than I thought that I did. And I have like medium brown hair, so you can really see them. So you might've already noticed. I was surprised last night. I have not. And then I was thinking, well, how do I feel about this? Like, how do I, how do I feel about this? And so I finally got to the point after like 15 minutes, it didn't take long, 15 minutes to be like, actually, I think they're really pretty because they're like beautifully white and they match. I have some like blonde highlights and some red highlights. And and I was like, you know, I actually feel pretty good about this. Yeah. I'm a rocket. If I was in the fifties, there's so many ads about dyeing your hair <laughs> that if I read these magazines and that was something that I did as a part of my enjoyment, I would feel completely ashamed of myself for having gray hair. I think you look beautiful and Thank you. you're rocking you're I don't even <laughs> see them, but you're rocking them gracefully. I I think they look amazing. Like I said, I haven't even seen them yet, but to speak to a bad hair day, there's also an ad where like literally a woman has a, what is it, sling around her neck and a pistol in her hand because she has a bad hair day. She's going to kill herself because she has a bad hair day? Yeah. It says, um, (gasps) there's a, there's an ad that women would kill herself, a woman would kill herself over a bad hair day. See, my anxiety would be through the roof. Just like the level of perfection that is expected of a woman in order to hang on to a man and you can't control other people, especially because your partner's probably a beeping drunk (laughs) based on the ads he's seeing. Well, and just the audacity of like a a shampoo brand to to put these types of messaging out there. I mean, that's kind of encouraging people or women that have a very low esteem to maybe take the plunge and are maybe yeah. devastated with their life because they can't, can't have a good hair day and maybe can't afford that shampoo. Like, what are they going to do with their life? That's terrible. So, I yeah. like the, the Dove ads a lot more than that ad. Yes. <laughs> so that's a, a great example of how marketing has changed since the 50s. Is I think there's really some intentionality behind how are we impacting the person who's looking at this and what messages are we saying directly or indirectly mm-hmm. through, through our advertisements. And that goes into like the different people that we're showing. If we're only showing beautiful, white, skinny women with no wrinkles and no pores, then, then we're saying that this is the way that you should be. And this is the way that kind of everyone is. And if you're not this way, you're divergent and you can't fit in. You have to be this. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'll go to the last one. 
thank goodness in marketing and advertising, we have the diversity that we have. Mm-hmm. I think it's still, well, I know it's something we think about when we're showing ads is like, who is our target audience and who should they be seeing? You know, it's not always the white skinny woman, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like through diversity and the intentionality, we're empowering people more so than putting them down or putting them, trying to put them into a box or, or push a square peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. And again, Dove comes to mind. I think they do it beautifully with their advertisements, just again, specifically geared towards women, but just the diversity, thick, thin, colorful, you know, white. I think we still have a, a ways to go, especially with, you know, different segments of within our communities, whether it's the LGBTQ and including them more in our advertising. All of the relationships shown in these magazines, again, not surprised in the 1950s, they are all heterosexual relationships. There is, there are two genders in the 1950s. There were two genders. There just wasn't space again for anyone who went out of these social norms that we had established in the United States and to the world. Yeah, absolutely. So those are all the ways that marketing and advertising has changed since the 50s. But looking through these magazines, there's also quite a few ways that marketing has stayed the same. Um, To kick us off, I'll start with dear old Deborah Kerr. (laughs) Again, you all know her as the Broadway star of the 1950s, obviously. And she's an example of the use of celebrities for marketing. Mm-hmm. That's something that we do all the time today. Celebrities, influencers, well-known people, we engage them as marketers to promote products. Still done often. Yep. And that kind of goes hand in hand with that idol, you know, aspirational marketing. I feel like that's been done back in the day as well as now. Um, which takes us to the second point, which is fear-based marketing. Like we just talked about this ad, uh, this shampoo ad that was essentially instilling fear that if you're having a bad hair day, you might as well just kill yourself. Mm. <laughs> or for example, the Chlorodent ad we talked about, there's another woman waiting for, for every man. Just kind of instilling that fear of if you do not take care of your oral health, you might get be lonely and become a, you know be lonely till the end of your days but your man will always have another woman lined up. And you're saying we still do fear-based marketing today? Occasionally we do. I feel like depending on the segment, we still do fear-based marketing. For instance, talking about the cigarettes, you know? Yes, great example. With the imagery on the cigarette packet. I don't know know that that's a U.S. thing. I think there might have been regulations, but in Germany, like I said, you had actual images on Mm -hmm. the cigarette packs on Marlboro specifically comes to mind where you just see a deteriorated lung where you see an, a stillbirth of an infant because you were smoking during pregnancy. And so this type of messaging is still out there maybe for different reasoning nowadays mm-hmm. where it's not just about minor things like a bad hair day or bad breath, but actual health concerns, for instance. Yeah. And we, we talked about um, this one already as one of the ways marketing has changed But it's also one of the ways it has stayed the same, and that's gender stereotypes. And so again, these magazines, men, women, men and women, that those were the genders and that was it. And I still think we have an issue with that in marketing and advertising. I think the diversity of a marketing campaign oftentimes falls on the shoulders and the responsibility of the marketers behind the campaign. And based on their beliefs, about gender, about equality, about 
the way the world should be, your marketing campaign can be impacted by that. And so that's where I think until we can change the beliefs of our society as a whole, we're still going to see examples where there are those really obvious gender stereotypes. And that's because they're coming from people who hold those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that you said that because that very much goes back to the individual behind the campaigns mm-hmm. or the individuals and or the company with their values, right? Mm-hmm. So the last one to talk about that's kind of stayed the same since the 1950s to now, maybe in a different way as well, just because of technology, is photoshopping or altering imagery. Yeah, there was no Photoshop in the 1950s, believe it or not. That didn't exist (laughs) yet. But, I mean, you can tell. Real women have pores. So that's a good marketing tagline, you're welcome, Dove. But real women (laughs) have pores, and these women on these magazines have no pores, no wrinkles, no under-eye lines. They're... They almost look drawn. Yeah. And they are because that's how photoshopping in the 1950s worked is (laughs) basically photographs were retouched by hand using paint or ink and then pieced together. And you can tell like this girl has no flyaways because her hair literally is like cut with scissors. (laughs) That photo was cut with scissors. And so we couldn't get away. Number one, we couldn't get away with this poor quality of photoshopping in 2023. (laughs) No. Absolutely, (laughs) you can see, you can tell that it's photoshopped, Um, but it's really not photoshopped. It's someone who, with artistic talents, drawing over all of the imperfections. Which I mean, we do still today, whether it's through Photoshop, actual Photoshop, or even just using filters on Instagram. You know, that's one of the big controversies of all the influencers or a lot of influencers, especially within Mm -hmm. the beauty realm, using filters when they do their stories and it just looks everybody looks so beautiful and again it it puts that stigma out of you have to look beautiful at the age of 35 and if you don't look like that and have wrinkles and have pores and whatever you're doing something wrong in your life Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's definitely something that's still stayed the same although i do feel like we are showing a little bit more of what's true in today's advertising especially for those brands that are trying to gain trust Yeah, and I think a lot of that is, though, that they will be called out. If I saw a skincare ad and the woman had no pores and no texture to her skin, I would 100% not, at a minimum, not buy from that company Mm -hmm. and at a maximum call them out on it. There's no way a skincare product is going to remove your skin texture. That's just completely fake. Yeah, I completely agree. So, yeah, what, I mean, great topic. I feel like we could continue talking about this. For, for probably another hour or so. But what are some of our key takeaways today, Sydney? The, the biggest thing that I noticed, like the biggest holistic takeaway, if I could break it down into one thing, is the differences of social norms from the 1950s to 2023, how the social norms of the 50s were so constricting for men and for women they were so strict on how you should be, mm-hmm. how you should fill your gender role, and how you should conform to society. I mean, even in one of my magazines, there was a, there was a comic book style. It wasn't an ad. It was just a comic. And the whole point of the comic was it was a woman convincing her husband to go with her to the school PTA meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, the husband 
decides, oh, I should be involved in the PTA. It wasn't funny. That was not a funny comic. What a waste of a comic strip. So, I mean, it's just a given. But that was the social, (laughs) what that was trying to do in the magazine is develop a social norm of men going to PTA meetings. And so that's really, that for me was the biggest takeaway. What is a social norm? According to the decisionlab.com, a social norm, social norms are collectively held beliefs about what kind of behavior is appropriate in a given situation. We know that it's hard to go against a social norm. Mm-hmm. However, not everyone always agrees about social norms that are like the popular thing. A lot of people have these like held beliefs that this isn't the way it should be. And they just are too scared to say anything. Well, and I think, you know, that's, um, that's definitely an important point to challenge social norms, especially as we develop and evolve. And I think, you know, we're all intelligent people and if something is, seems off to you, like question it, you know, yeah. question it, start a conversation with someone. But I think that was a, that was a big part of the 1950s is just fitting into the box because it was mm-hmm. expected of you and you going against your husband, going against your parents was just not a thing, you know, like it, it'd be you going against society. Exactly. At that point. And it's a bigger battle than you would want to face on or take on. There's a really interesting video that I'll show you, Sylvia. I don't know. Have you seen this? It's called Brain Games Conformity Waiting Room. Mm-mm. I think it speaks to how easy it is for humans to conform to social norms, even when they make no sense at all. To not question them, to go with them because we don't want to be divergent because it's hard. So maybe if you want to watch that real quick and we'll post that on our Instagram and then come back and talk about it. Perfect. Okay, so Sylvia, tell us what happened in the video that we just watched. (laughs) So what happened is that a a woman was going into her eye doctor's appointment and the waiting room was full and she sat down and mind you, the people that were in the waiting room, they were all actors, but she didn't know. And so periodically there was this random beep and with every beep, all of the people were just standing up and sitting back down. And so the first couple of rounds, she was just like, what's happening? Like what, what's going on here? But with every beep, everybody was standing up and sitting back down. And so eventually she was just like, well, I guess if everybody does it, I should too. (laughs) At least that's the impression I got. And so, yeah, she ultimately started standing up with every beep. And then uh, it was interesting to see because, uh, you know, one after another, they were all called into their exams. And so she was the only one in the waiting room. And then this beep happened again. And she was a little, I think, hesitant at first, but she still stood up and sat back down and she had no idea why she was doing it. She was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. And then new patients came in from you know, outside for their appointments and started sitting down. And so she weren't in on it either. They didn't know what was going on. They weren't actors. Yeah. So it was just her and then the new patients that didn't know what was happening. And so the beeping continued and she continued to stand up. And the first guy was like looking at her and was like, "Why, why are you standing up? And her response was, well, everybody was doing it. So I did it too without (laughs) even knowing. And apparently that was a good enough answer for him because then he started standing up with her (laughs) and yeah. And so I think at the end of it, we're like five people or so in the waiting room again, that were not in this experiment at all or part of the experiment. And at the end of it, they were all standing up and sitting down without knowing why, because, well, I guess it's the new norm that when you hear Mm -hmm. a beep, you stand up and then you sit back down. 
Yeah, so she was all, uh, she was from the beginning, there was the peer pressure of everyone's doing it. She feels weird. And she said in the video, she's like, I felt better when I committed to standing up and sitting down like everyone else was doing. Because again, it like feels uncomfortable. There's, it doesn't feel good to go against the group. It's hard to do. And that's why I thought that video is such a, a good way to show social norms, but also how quickly it is to adapt social norms even when they make no sense at all. Yep. If everyone's doing it, I'm gonna do it because everyone must be doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt about these, these magazines. It's just they're portraying the normal life. And if I'm reading these in the 1950s, that's what I'm gonna think should be the normal life. Even if like deep down, I don't wanna go with the flow, even if I wanna be divergent. Again, it's really hard to do that. Yep. Especially back in the day where you only had certain news sources, whether it was the TV, mm -hmm. whether it was the magazines, whether it was the radio or peer to peer word of mouth, but you really didn't have the World Wide web that we have today where we can actually go in and question things and yeah. get different perspectives. And that video was such low stakes. It's like, well, what happens if you don't stand up and sit down? You just feel a little uncomfortable. You feel like an outsider, mm -hmm. but there are some real big stakes that can occur from going against social norm in a society. And just think about, you know, if someone were to come out as gay in the 1950s, I mean, they could be killed mm -hmm. in the 1950s. So going against social norms can mean, you know, life or death. It can mean being excluded from your peer groups, um, being isolated from your friends and family. So it can have some major consequences. Which it still can have today in certain countries. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so how does this apply to marketing? Well, marketing is a part of social norms. You know, we live in a society too. the people behind marketing campaigns live in the same society that, that everyone else does. And so again, the beliefs that we hold as marketers will be translated into the advertisements that we share. No, absolutely. And that's why we also have to be careful from the marketing perspectives. We, I mean, Sydney and I, we are both in the marketing field. So just being cautious and careful of what messaging we put out there. But then also as the consumer, you know, just going into messaging with an open eye and critical thinking, I think mm -hmm. is important because, I mean, we see it in politics all day long, every day <laughs> that there are people out there that are trying to shift our social norms based yeah. on what their beliefs are. And so I think it's super, super important just to be reflective. I think that's the biggest takeaway from the consumer standpoint as well is to be to be reflective and there's actually some things that you can do to empower yourself to be more comfortable with going against the flow one thing that you can do just starting now is practice being divergent like practice in a low stake setting going against the norm if you don't feel like it's an honest representation of what you believe or what you think you should do and so that example in this woman's case from the video might have been just practicing well what happens if i don't stand up mm -hmm. Can I, can I try that? Can I get more comfortable? Because you can build up a tolerance to being that outsider. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you can do. Um, another thing you can do again is just asking yourself, like, does it align with your mm -hmm. why and mm -hmm. your, and I feel like we almost say this in every episode, but yeah. <laughs> I think our first episode was one of the strongest in terms of, you know, identifying your personal brand and your values are a big, big part of that. And so just, again, being reflective and consuming messages with that critical question of, well, why? And does it align with my why? 
and the example of me finding gray hairs, I feel like is kind of like the perfect moment of, I was faced with a moment, I know I'm gonna see ads now that are all about coloring my hair and how wrong it is to have gray hair. And so I had to take a minute to, to reflect on, well, how do I actually feel about this outside of how people are telling me I should feel about this? Because the subtext of an ad to dye your hair is that is often that it's wrong to have gray hair, that it is a divergent behavior. You should have, even into your 60s and 70s, colored hair. And I think that's something that is shifting, but it's, it's an intentional shift away from, I, you know, I'm going to be 60 and have blonde hair, to I'm going to be 60 and I'm going to rock the beautiful gray and white. Did you know, by the way, I feel like you're just an early trendsetter, but I feel like, or did you know that there are a lot of people out there that intentionally nowadays actually dye their hair gray? Yeah, I've seen that for quite a, quite a while. And I think that helps. Again, there's, there's these shifts happening in social norms all the time that, that are hard to see in the moment. But when we reflect on 70 years from now, mm-hmm. we'll be able to see kind of where we missed the mark in 2023 when it came to marketing and advertising. Totally. And... One other thing you can do, let's say you're in a group setting, it's, it's easy to get that tribe, tribe mentality. Is that mm-hmm. what it is? Tribe? Yep. Hive? No. <laughs> okay. The tribe mentality in a group setting where, you know, the loudest voice can really easily sway the tone of the room, even if everyone just doesn't agree with what they're saying, they might just be uncomfortable to speak up. So in a group setting, what you can do is you can assign somebody to be the antagonist of the group. So we're going to talk about this topic, we're going to debate, and we want you to be the antagonist. So they don't have to feel bad because they have a responsibility to antagonize the group and to offer a different opinion. Mm -hmm. They're assigned to that. And then that's a way that you can can build a consensus that isn't based on conforming to that herd mentality, not tribe mentality. <laughs> well, it's still, it's still more a tribe than a hive. True. <laughs> Hives are so efficient, actually. Yeah, all I think of is a beehive and Me honey. Mm-hmm. All so right. Sweet. Well, but yeah, I, I love that. I think that's a great, uh, great exercise. Great. So do you want to wrap it up and do the teaser? Yeah. Sounds good to me. For our next episode, for our next big episode, we are going to continue the conversation of influencing people, influencing buying behaviors, and talk about influencers as a whole. So I'm excited to dive in to continue the conversation. I feel like it's a very complex topic. And until then. Thanks for listening to Marketing Made Me Do It. Join the conversation on Instagram at Marketing Made Me Do It. Let us know what you think. And if you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and review wherever you get your podcast. We are new every Thursday, unless life gets in the way, but for the most part. um, And yeah, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate our handful of listeners. You are setting a trend and being divergent in your behavior of listening to this podcast. (laughs) Share with a friend. Share it with a friend. But yes, thanks for listening. It was a fun episode to record. And until next time. Bye. Bye. What did I say? Controversial. Stay tuned for some mighty (laughs) Stay tuned for some mighty Oh my gosh. It's going in the bloopers. (laughs) 